bother. Huh. We bought some very important papers. Mm. Whoa. We bought, we bought a mic. We bought ourselves a mic. We bought a mic. We bought a mic. Bought ourselves a mic. Bring it back, Fonsetto. We bought a mic. We bought ourselves a microphone. The wonderful thing about podcasts is podcasts is a wonderful thing. Uh, you listen and listen and listen and listen. It never ends. Hello. Mm-hmm. Welcome to We Bought a Mic. <laughs> hey, guys. Uh, hey, oh, oh, I don't know if... Uh, we're all back here. Yeah, we are. The three the, of us. Core three, oh, guys. You know, shit. Do you know what the best thing about the intro song pre-recorded is? Is that it limits the amount of time we spend doing the intro? I think that yeah. we should like quadruple no, the length of That's it. what we used to do. It used to be so long, and now it's like, no, you have, you have 30, 16 measures, like mm-hmm. just... People would Shut like fast up. forward like three minutes and it would still be going on. Yeah, and they're like, oh, this is like a musical <laughs> improv show. And it sucks. Yeah, and it's also bad. <laughs> well, I know that you guys are happy that I'm back. Um, my name is Hunter Marley, well, we didn't say by that, the way. But... Um, I know that you're happy I'm back because I know you guys miss me. I started to listen to the podcast. It was really rough last <laughs> week, so... I'm just going to talk in a falsetto for the rest of the podcast because yeah. obviously you guys really miss this falsetto. Uh, we were trying to go three for three with females, so I think you're just going to have to fill in that. Uh, yeah, okay. I miss Camilla. Role. Okay, but two <laughs> takes at once, and I agree with the take <laughs> over here. That was really well, yeah, I'm, you like that? I'm <laughs> yeah. Ernest, and over here is uh, Drew Dietzen. Yep, I'm Popcorn Drew. I woke up too late to eat breakfast before the movie, just had a small popcorn. Feels very sick right now. <laughs> very gassy. You're gonna be here. We've it. we've all made that mistake before, where we just yeah. go in. It's like ah, popcorn will hold me over, and it never. What does. size did you get? Just as small, which you was ate, which was seven dollars, by the way. Does your does your mouth feel like how your hands look whenever you leave them in a pool for too long? Yeah, I, that's that's always the feeling that's left in your mouth after eating a lot of popcorn. Yeah, I'm dehydrated and gassy, and that's the vibe of today's episode. So. Well, today we're talking uh, old Mr. Christopher Robin of the Hundred Acre Wood and the greater London metropolitan area. Wait, it's Disney's old Mr. Christopher Robin of the Hundred Acre Wood and the greater London metropolitan area. Are you trying to get fucking sued right now? Yeah, or as I I like to call it, uh, Ewan McGregor is Christopher Robin, a very important man with very important papers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A very busy man. Disney's Christopher Robin is a very... (laughs) And... uh, some other things that we've been watching and listening to and all that, but I think we've labored over enough, so let's get it over with one last time. The most important piece of news in all of Hollywood and Bollywood yeah, broke that, this week. Well, at this point, the death of MoviePass is kind of sad. It's not like, yeah, stick it to him. It's just like this like sad, just curmudgeoned, old dying animal that is just whimpering slowly yeah it's like people keep trying to like it's like you have this like one older relative that keeps going in and out of the hospital (laughs) and you're like you could just like give him hospice just so he can just be comfortable in his home but they just keep trying to take him back to the hospital yeah and now he's on life support and you go in and he's like come closer and you're like okay grandpa and he's like do you want to see slender man at 7 30 in the morning (laughs) And you're like, no. I have two tickets. And you're for like, you. what about at noon? No available show times for the rest of the day. Are you okay with driving to the villages? It's an hour away. I got a sick hookup for a plane ride with Gotti. <laughs> John Travolta yeah. um, will tell you so, all about science. So we all canceled our movie passes, correct? Well, yes. I tried. 
here's the kicker. I got an email from MoviePass saying that, hey, we know we tried to ca- you tried to cancel your subscription, but we're just going to go ahead and in- ignore that, and you're still subscribed. <laughs> and we're, uh, we're just signing you up to our new plan of three movies a month. And I was like, um, what the fuck? <laughs> no. You got fucked. So now I'm going to have to keep checking the app to make sure that like it doesn't charge me. Keep checking my bank account. You're just going to have to call them. That's a lot of the time that happens with cancellations. You just have to call them. And a lot of the time, if you're on hold and you say the word fuck, they have like an algorithm that hooks you up to like a higher up. So I usually just do that. Is there, well, you, this is assuming like screaming fuck over and over. This is again assuming that, that MoviePass actually has like people that answer. I was going to say that's, that's true. That's kind of a joke. You know that their customer service team was the first people that they fired. To, yeah, like, make some yeah, more money. it's non-existent. So well, you're screwed. I mean, even whenever we were still mo- using MoviePass towards the death, I was just uploading random ticket stubs that I had in my wallet, or I would check in for a movie and then just go to a different one. Take a picture of like, your of your balls or something. Yeah, I would just be like, yeah, and they would be like very. Verified, and I was like, okay, sure, why not? <laughs> Obviously, nobody is checking these. Yeah. Well, good. I mean, so, MoviePass, it was it was good while it lasted. There is such thing as too good to be true, yeah. very clearly. But we all had a ball with it. We saw oh, so many yeah, movies. Yeah, I mean, I saw like 44, yeah. 46 Same. movies, something Same. like that. Right so so yeah. I guess we're all doing AMC A-list Are now. you signed up yet, Drew? No, I'm not. Okay. I You're don't... not a fucking A-lister, you piece uh, of shit. Get off this podcast. A-listers only on this podcast. I was hoping Regal <laughs> would put out a competition, and I'm sure they will because, you know, capitalism has a lot of things wrong with it, but the good thing is if one company puts out a stupid good deal, all the others have to put out a stupid good deal. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's I'm kind the of... law. I'm doing A-List right now. A-List, it does, like, whenever you sign up, you have to be signed up for three months. So I will at least have that for three months. I'm hoping that within those three months, Regal announces their own thing. Because uh, in Orlando, really, the AMC theaters kind of suck for the most part. Actually, they don't, though. Like the projection, the projection quality and the sound quality is always great. Every I'm time talking I go. about the theater itself, though, not just like uh, okay. not just their projection. Because I mean, it's fine. Where but is like AMC? the fact that there's no like over in there's Altamont. one in Altamont and then there's one at Universal, at like City Walk. Okay, I'm so, honestly not going to do this. Then I don't want to go there. Yeah, I mean yeah, that's the problem drive. is I've been going to the Altamont one, but it's not like Regal where on a lot of AMC's and even. Uh, at the Altamont one, the one that I mainly use, um, there's some theaters where you can do reserve seatings like you can do with every other Regal. But for the most part, it's all like the old school uh, the old school theaters with like they don't have reclining nice seats. seats yeah. You can't uh, reserve specific seats or anything. So I haven't um, had an unless you do issue. Dolby. I haven't had an issue yet with getting a decent seat at an AMC, especially because you can with AMC, I can reserve a showtime for two weeks from now if I wanted to, but... That's the thing that I like about it, yeah. is you don't have to worry about being within 200 yards of the theater right. yeah. and, like, freaking out, like, trying to check in and then go up to the to the box office and... Yeah, that was annoying. Yeah, so I just... When I, when I saw Christopher Robin, I just checked in the morning of, you know, going to see it that night, and then I just walked straight into the theater... With, without All a right. problem. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I tried. I even had an issue with the AM, with the AMC Stubbs app. It wouldn't load my ticket, so I just went up to customer service and was like, "Hey, I checked in," and they're like, "Okay, what's your like user number?" So I went through my email, found it, and they just looked it up and you know, got me in there. One thing that's kind of weird is my sister when we went to see um, Eighth Grade, she has an Apple Watch, and the ticket showed up on her watch. Oh, neat! The QR code. Ooh. So it was like 
they just know all your Neato. shit, dude. All right. Um, well, yeah. Re- re- R.I.P. Rest in uh, Rest in Pass movies. Yeah. Uh, you will be forever missed. Uh, let's move on to this. I want to talk about this with you guys. The biggest piece of news of the last week or so in, in terms of movies is that the Oscars are retooling their broadcast because they're losing viewers, along with everything else on normal television, first of all. There are a lot of angles to approach this this topic, but essentially they are adding a best popular movie category. Um, Like I said, a lot of angles here. The first angle is the first place my mind went to is the Oscars are broadcast on ABC. ABC is owned by Disney. Disney makes all of the popular movies yeah. in the world, basically. Easily. Like, so what are the odds that Disney came to the Oscars and was like, "Hey, add a category that we can give to our movies." People will see your fucking yeah. show. It's a little. It could be a little insidious. The motives behind this move. But what do you guys think about the move? Well, I the way I think about it, um, this is something that Bill Simmons said on the Big Picture is that this might be. I forget the term, but d- like it's, a trial balloon. That's yeah, no, no, no. It, I I know exactly what you're talking. They about. They might just be like kind of kind of testing it. this idea exactly, just floating the idea. It's kind of like a trade in sports. Well, and th- and they don't know if this is exactly what is going to happen. All they know is that ratings were record low for this past Oscars. Yeah, and they feel like they're not nominating the movies that people see, which is fucking stupid because that's not what the Oscars should be doing in the first place. It's not. I mean, that's what makes it special when a movie that is a blockbuster, like let's say uh, like return of the King or even Mad Max Fury Road movies that do make a ton of money do break through and hit that like best picture kind of Oscar when they can break through and hit that mark. And not only that, but the Oscars have already tried to retool this in a way that I think is better by expanding the voting pool for what can be a best picture, like up to 10 films. Yeah. That was their way to kind of combat that's the why, dark Knight not making it. Yeah, And that's why Mad Max got the nomination. Yeah. And I, this just seems like I, I hate this move. Like I really, there's a lot of things that I think should be added to the, um, to the category. I know Sean Fancy has talked about something that I've always wanted, which is breakthrough actor or yeah. actress. But there's a lot of great ideas. Like, I think that floating. that's, that's a really yeah, cool see, idea. Like Timothy Chalamet would have walked away with that last year and it, yeah. he deserved to have, actually have some recognition for that. Yeah. For some really, for some really good analysis on this, I do recommend that episode of the big picture podcast. They go in for about an hour on what is actually wrong with the Oscars. And I agree with most of their points. The entire broadcast of the Oscars is very stupidly done. If they want people it's to actually, so watch goddamn it. long. Yeah, the, and... the question is who is it for, and I really can't answer that except for us. Um, so, as far as this move goes, I've kind of talked myself into it a little bit. I kind of don't hate it anymore because there is not more than ever before. Right now, there is a huge gap in between what's popular and what is good, and right. or not just what is good, but what is nominated. So it, you're saying it's frustrating to see movies like Three Billboards and Darkest Hour pick up nominations i i don't yeah i i mean i hate i hate three billboards obviously and i i don't i don't understand their nomination process in general i disagree with a lot of their nominations but this category kind of makes sense in the current context just because there is a growing divide and they're trying to you know theoretically they're trying to say hey we acknowledge that like we want to give credit where credit is due to movies that are really popular and good, but not Oscar material. That makes sense. 
uh, in a way that like I don't hate it anymore. But then the counter argument to that is that the reward for making a popular movie is money. Well, and then, okay, so also, to add to that point, it opens up this whole other can of worms, which is, what is a popular movie? Like, would Get Out have won this award last year? Or Lady Bird? Or would it have gone to something? Lady Bird, I don't think, made enough money, because I'm guessing it was was probably It was popular. Like, was it based on Rotten Tomatoes score? <laughs> no, like, what does that thing. mean? Like, well, we're going to find out what exactly they're talking about. Fucking I would, Avengers, I think. Yeah, yeah they're mean, going for Marvel. This, I mean, largely it's it's accredited that this was a move to get Black Panther an Oscar. Um, Black Panther does not deserve an Oscar. Th- th- okay, the thing is, I, New York Times published an opinion piece right after this, and their spin was, this is not a good move because Black Panther should just be the best picture. And, like, What? I don't think no. Okay so like, No I hate the take that Okay you're allowed to like Black Panther or love it Or whatever But it's not the best movie Of the year Like that's so stupid Exactly Okay so I love Black Panther I really think that That is one of the best Marvel I think it's the best Marvel movie of the year I would have voted down, for it For a third term And I would have <laughs> <laughs> And I really do think That it is One of the best Marvel movies That they've ever put out That being said I still don't think It's best picture no, it had some. It had some Shitty it's, acting in there It had some poor done action sequences I thought that the acting for the most part was good it was the action sequences that really yeah, bothered me they were disappointing but despite that like what does this does this mean that movies beforehand are going to have to determine like yeah all right we're entering for the popular film award or we're entering for the best picture basically award. And that, that, like yeah that's another knock on this is that some popular movies that may have had a shot at best picture are going to pigeonhole themselves into popular movie which is not going to be a very consequential it's like it's Oscar. like are yeah. we are, are we saying our movie is good or popular yeah. right like that's so dumb it, it means i mean yeah but i don't hate this just because it'll i think that if we're watching the oscars at the end of the day it'll be kind of fun to see a category that's like mission impossible versus black panther and avengers versus, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah i think it'll hey be kinda... question <laughs> why isn't mission impossible getting a best picture nominee okay that's the, mission impossible that. is the best picture I <laughs> okay fine but tom cruise is winning best actor this year for ethan hawk okay so, i i don't know does who... ethan hawk drive a fucking helicopter into another helicopter i no. don't know I only tom seen cruise and elsie fisher in eighth grade are the only people who have done that this that's year. true but okay. that's like that's kind of why I talk myself into it. At the end of the day, if there's a new another category and it's like all these movies that I definitely saw that are against each other, I'm probably going to enjoy it. I'm not going to be like, "Hey, fuck this." Like it's just going to be fun. I'm not going to like not watch the Oscars for it, but I don't really see that bringing in that many other well, viewers yeah. anyways. People are going to stick around a 5-hour broadcast just to watch one award that's that the they thing. actually saw movies well, yeah, about. Regardless of if this is like a uh, a novel idea and if it'll be enjoyable for us, it's not the answer to why people aren't watching the Oscars. They have no idea what they're missing out on. The, there's a lot of really good suggestions on that big picture podcast episode that I, like, again, I really have to recommend. Yeah. There's so many things wrong with the Oscars broadcast. It's so fucking long. It has all these pretentious... So many goddamn montages. Yeah, these montages that are like, hey, remember movies? movies it's like, great. I, yeah, I totally remember movies. I'm watching something about them right now. <laughs> and... And they also don't spread out the important awards enough. So you're, the first two hours are things that most people, we care about the early parts. Most people don't. And that's totally fine. They don't have to. In fact, they shouldn't at yeah, all. Most people don't give a shit about what yeah. won best costume that's, design in that's, the 2018 Oscars. Exactly. Yeah. That's how you fix the Oscars. This category, I don't hate personally, but I don't think it's the answer for them. Yep. Uh, I guess lastly, I'll say something that I saw on Twitter, which is Tom Cruise should host the Oscars, <laughs> which is uh, they, they should just... Not not have any plan. Just throw them out there on the stage. Oh yeah, 
no no script and just let them do some crazy shit you know what i saw the other day that i re- was reminded is incredible is in uh 2009 uh dan Harmon wrote the oscars or he, oh the that's the hugh jackman yeah and number. hugh jackman that's the hosted best, yeah. yeah he wrote this opening number with hugh jackman and the whole bit was that like oh we had no budget because of the recession so we had he, hugh jackman's like yeah i just made all these props in my garage funniest opening number in oscar history oh yeah, yeah. unbelievable Let's it's just, worth looking up just bring bring that team back yeah <laughs> i mean them they wouldn't do that at this point okay last little bit of news here is we have our our old buddy benny schwazi Ben Schwartz. Old ben Schwartz, old John Ralphio, is mm-hmm. voicing or mocap or live action uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. He does look a little like a hedgehog. So, <laughs> is it? I don't are know. Are we if it's sure the voice. what's actually happening? Because I know that they said that um, that Eggman was going to be like live action, actual live action. Yeah, Jim Carrey is playing Eggman so, live action. So, like, it, this all seems very confusing. I there's, mean, obviously, there's going to be, like, mocap I, in I, here, I would assume. I think that Benny Schwaz is going to be CG'd. Like, maybe there will be some I kind of... I think he's going to be blue-faced. There, yeah, there, I mean, <laughs> that's that's offensive. <laughs> there will be some, like, amount of, like, you know, little nodes on his face or whatever, but you're not going to be able to recognize Ben Schwartz because he, he's ugly and he doesn't look like Sonic. <laughs> not my Sonic. Sonic is sexy. <laughs> no, you <laughs> know who's sexy? Take. Fucking Knuckles. Ooh. <laughs> Fucking Knuckles. I think, yeah. I think this this movie is a terrible idea. <laughs> Video game movies never work, and there's no reason for this to work. Yeah, I mean, what is the best video game movie of all time? Um, uh, fuck, man. Uh, Wreck It Ralph. <laughs> Tomb, Tomb Raider was not based on anything. Angelina Jolie. Angel- is that really like that's the bar? Like, just keep in mind that's the bar. <laughs> keep in mind that when the Assassin's Creed movie came out, people said this is one of the best video game movies ever made and it has like a 19 percent on rotten tomatoes yeah, so man. and it is yeah. one of the best ever made <laughs> yeah so just keep that in mind i think um the people i'm trying to look up the cast for this but i'm pretty sure um ed helms is in there Yeah, it's got a good cast like a surprisingly deep cast for let's see the, movie, the people I mean, budgets. yeah jim carrey is definitely signed on um Marsden, James Marsden's the one that's in there. Okay. Oh, so Ed Helms is not signed on. Adam Pally. Okay. Huh. And it's going to be directed by this guy named Jeff Fowler. Okay. I like Adam Pally. Um, oh God, Jeff Fowler hasn't done shit before. Mm. What are some of his notable uh, movies? He has. Oh, oh, guys, this looks this looks bad. <laughs> he has a movie called Gopher Broke. Gopher, like a pun. Gopher broke. Gopher broke. Yeah, that's... Okay, I'm into it. All right. Pun names don't cheapen anything. (laughs) They make it sound like you're making a pricey movie. Gopher broke. Oh, no. All right. Okay. Let's move on. (laughs) I'm just depressed now. (laughs) So there's new music from Travis Scott. Yeah. Astroworld. He put out his long-anticipated follow-up to his last album, um, this yeah, so this is Astro World. It's very long. It's somewhere around like seventeen songs, um, a little over an hour. How do you guys feel about it? Honestly, I haven't uh, been able to deep to do the deep dive into this yet, mm-hmm. but I do love Sicko Mode and Carousel. I think those are two mm-hmm. great songs. Uh, Frank is in in there in Carousel. Yeah, yeah. The credits on this album are absolutely bonkers. Travis's biggest strength is as a curator. He's able he's kind of like Kanye where he's able to get everyone together and get the best out of them in the studio. Um, I love this album. Like I I'm super super high on it. Uh, Travis Scott is 
perfect at what he does. He he kind of he he was kind of like a what's the word? He was a uh, watershed moment in hip hop. He merged trap and pop in a way that hadn't been done in a way that made it possible for like Migos to be on the radio, for yeah. example. Um, his beats are they're maximalist and yet they're simple. He he really treads the line between a bunch of different complicated things. And he doesn't get credit for that because his lyrics are never the focus. His lyric, he does not, he's not going to give you Kendrick Lamar level of introspection. He's not going to give you anything super complicated in terms of wordplay. And I think that's fine. Like, if that's not what he wants to do, that's not what the music is about. Like, you listen to the music, the beats are so layered and complex that I'm not listening to the lyrics. They just have to be there. I, I like that he has a distinct voice and then you can always tell it's him. Yeah. And I honestly really dig his singing. Like, he's he's a yeah. talented I mean, dude. He's, he's a great producer. He, yeah. uh, he's, he learned how to make his voice sound very signature. He, you know, he kind of, he was one of the pioneers of auto-tune and trap music. Um, he's really made a name for himself. Yeah, um, I'm not really that high on this album. I think that's okay. Like, I really, I think that's mostly because, I mean, the production on this album is awesome. Like, mm. the production on this album is incredible. The features on here are great. Um, I don't remember what the song is with The Weeknd. That's really good. Of course, Sicka Mode, Carousel with Frank. Stargazing is the opener I really like, but it's just... Travis Scott, he like all of his songs reek of sameness in the way that he he has the same cadence that he raps with in every single song. Yeah, I, I feel that. That's that's my biggest thing with Travis Scott is it's I don't really care about like or I don't not that I don't care about lyricism, but like the way that an artist like I mean you mentioned Kendrick, uh, how he can rap with so many different uh, cadences and have so much different ways to articulate words. Kanye does this all the time too. But it seems like Travis Scott just has one way of rapping, and that's just the way that he does. It's almost like whenever we talked about the um, the new Nas record that came out this year, where oh. it's like he has this one, this one beat, this one tempo that that is his spot. And then if he ever tries to fluctuate out of that tempo, it never really works. Like a lot of these songs, especially on the latter half of the album, just all blend together for me. I don't know if it'll like get any better on view like i know a lot of people love five percent tent but i'm just really not that song sounds like it could be on any other travis scott record i like the really stand i out. like the last two tracks a good bit houston fornication and coffee bean i like mm. coffee bean a lot i think the album um, finishes strong but there is it, it does feel bloated it's like right after um uh no bystanders i think that the next like four or five tracks all kind of blend five six tracks really all blend together for me um skeletons, i still think that this skeletons is, is a good one that's the one we were just listening to before we started recording it's uh it's got a kevin parker uh yeah. Pr production yeah i mean like no that's what i'm saying is that the production throughout this whole album is really really good like it's got banging production but i just wish that there was somebody better at the helm like rapping on top of these things whenever i hear travis scott he has a very unique voice i'll give him that i do know that it's travis scott whenever he's rapping but it's also the other reason why i know that he it's him is because he just he sings and raps the same way all the time I just want a little bit more diversity from yeah. my rappers. There's just enough that I don't care at all about that. Like, there's so much else going on that I don't mind. You know, like, these beats are... It's kind of what I think ASAP Rocky wishes he could do. Because he's ASAP Rocky is also going for this, like, trap, psychedelic uh, pop thing going on. And there's a fluidity. Some of these songs definitely blend together. And the album could be shorter. Mm -hmm. But there's a fluidity in theme between all these that I think is really impressive to do. When there's... 
different producers working on every single song. Like Travis is doing a lot, but you have, you know, Pharrell and you have Mike Dean all over this who like, you know, he masterminded all the instruments on beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy. Um, I, I, I really like this album. I don't know. I think he, he gets not enough credit because he is not a very good rapper. Yeah. I mean, I think, and that's kind of what it kind of comes back to for me at least is that, if you are a rapper, I want you to at least like be able to kind of hold your own. And I just, I feel like sometimes he is and the beats are able to elevate him, um, up, but a lot of times it just kind of all feels like filler to me. I, Not I, all filler, but I'll, a decent chunk. Of I it will is say, I, I think this is probably Travis Scott, Travis Scott's strongest album. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I don't disagree with that whatsoever because like I've put, never been a fan of Travis yeah, Scott. Yeah, like he but. put something together here that is fairly, you know, cohesive and it, even though it, it does feel a little bit bloated and it kind of sags in the middle a little bit, it's it it's wholeheartedly like a very complete work that stands above everything else that he's done before. And I think the, the only times I've been into him is when he's been a feature on yep. other people's albums and I've never really been into been able to get into his solo stuff. This is the first time that I'm actually like really, really interested in a solo album of his. So that that says a lot f- from my um you know familiarity with Travis Scott. Uh but just looking at the at the production credits like God damn this yeah. thing is stacked. It's absurd. And the features Thundercat, obviously John Mayer um Stevie Wonder hopped on the harmonica yeah. for a song. Jeez. It's absurd. Um, and he, like I said, that's his his biggest strength is he is a really, really good curator of talent. Like, he is so, so good at that. Um, I'm a big fan of this album. I think it's the best album to come out in probably, a, like, a few weeks at least. Uh, Mac Miller put out an album that I was looking forward to based on its singles, and it's so disappointing. Really? Uh, I thought it was mm. I thought it was solid. I it, thought it was okay. I, I mean lyrically it's better and his flows are better and he goes more deep with what he's saying and the beats are really boring and i think at this point at least i prefer really really good soundscapes to really really good lyricism that's what i listen to music for for the sound of it i don't for, for me the best uh mac miller song ever is dang only because of Anderson Pac. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and Anderson <laughs> Pac elevates that song. No, I um, I haven't had a chance to listen to the Mac Miller album. I'm no, we'll save it for next week because I know you guys haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. But I'm interested to know what you guys think of the new uh, Amine album because just came just, out today. just came out. Uh, Isn't it midnight. Amine? I think Amine? it is Amine. Yeah. Amine. Anime? I always say anime, <laughs> and that's why I say Amine because Amenemy. Amenemy. But I really think that he is – he's one of those artists who I think has really evolved the way that uh, he raps and sings together that a lot of artists never reach that point. I mean, Travis Scott, I think, has evolved his production and actually what he's going for, but it kind of feels like he's more of a producer than he is a rapper. I Like, I want Travis Scott to produce an album – but then get somebody else to. Yeah, rap maybe on he it. could produce a Kendrick album because honestly, this is kind of a take. But a lot of Kendrick's beats just suck. Like, 
to a be- lot of Kendrick's beats. What? Yeah, I, to uh, be- what? yeah, a lot of Kendrick Lamar's beats are not good beats. Like what? He I'm, elevates them by being himself. Wait, are you about to talk about the beats on "To Pimp a Butterfly"? No, I was about to say okay. that's the exception because that is like future jazz. Like it's a whole different. Uh, it's thing. not beats. But right. I was re-listening to "Damn" and some of those beats. Like if it was any other rapper, you would not listen to that song. Like okay. they're just not very good. Yeah. All right. That's that's fair. Yeah. On, I like, do think on, like fear. I do God. think "Damn" yeah. is um like. By far Kendrick's worst album to date that he's dropped, um, but he does really elevate. I mean, the beats on Good Kid, Mad City are fucking awesome. Though. Yeah. So yeah. like Good Kid and To Pimp a Butterfly. When you're two out of three with albums yeah. with great beats, I don't think you can criticize I, somebody's beats. I still think that. Well, I think first of all, I think that probably half of Damn's beats are bad. Honestly, if we were to listen to an instrumental, I would turn yeah. it off. Uh, and then also, I think if Good Kid was someone else. I don't think that we would like it half as much. I like it's a testament to him. I think that he is absolutely fucking insane. Like what he puts on top of a track is unfucking believable. You know what I mean? Um, but that's just me. That's my new phrase. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. But that's just Succession. <laughs> I am really excited to talk about Succession. Yeah, this show is. Fucking we're, awesome. We're really late to the curve. Yes, yeah. the show's already over. It's at this already point, over, but, but it, it just picked up so much buzz, mainly among like the ringer staff. They were really the ones kind of yeah. topping it up. But I don't know. I just dismissed it because I saw the preview and I was like, well, I don't want to watch a show about a rich white family. Yeah, that's what that's what the whole like basis of it is. And that's why I wasn't really interested because it was like I can watch rich people be rich. Yeah, and but that's it. I watched the first episode and whoo what a great a, pilot what a fucking great episode i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna let you guys talk because i'm already six episodes in mm. you're so <laughs> yeah so i'm deep and yeah dude, me and hunter are, are two eps in uh this is a show that a lot of like i read a lot of reviews i didn't go deep into any of them but almost all the reception of the pilot was really really good but it lays a lot of groundwork and it's boring. And I watched the pilot and I was like, this is amazing. I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I didn't find it boring at all. <laughs> I thought it was amazing already. Does Adam McKay only direct the pilot? Does yeah. he come back at all? Okay. Because um, well, it definitely has like an Adam McKay style to it. Like even in the second episode, which he isn't involved in, just well, like. Well, he set the, you know, he was the one that made the choices of like, hey, if a director comes in, this is what they're going to fucking do. Yeah, I you mean, well, I mean? I, between yeah, Adam, Adam McKay and uh, Will Ferrell are the two executive producers on this and like it's i mean it's definitely like a drama but the show's like really funny at points like it's yeah. really like kind of laugh out loud hilarious at certain moments and also just so like over the top and absurd there's a little bit of not navel gazing that's not the right word but like just like rich people talking about rich people things <laughs> talking about what the stock market's going to do and kind of shit like that where it's like yeah. all right whatever. i mean but it's it's created by jesse armstrong who is a really really talented british uh writer he's written a bunch of british stuff we haven't heard of but he also wrote uh for a peep show for five years oh i didn't know that which okay. is yeah or even longer than that which is like a classic classic british just like kind of like a cringe comedy show like it's not dramatic in any way um and so, yeah, he created this more recently. I think this is an amazing show. Basically, what we've got is a show about power. It's following... It's a it's a the CEO of a telecommunications company that's it's basically Fox, yeah, or Comcast, one of yeah. those, one of the giant, you know, something like that. And he's an absolute fucking prick, and his son's an absolute fucking prick. His son is about to take over for him, and then he changes his mind, and then you know. It just devolves from there. We don't need to spoil too much. But. Yeah, I mean, I don't want because also we 
especially the two of us, we don't really know exactly where the show's going. I think that one of the things that really elevates this show is a couple of awesome performances, mm-hmm. namely Jeremy Strong. I think is that's what's awesome. keeping me watching is the fact that these characters are so well realized and you understand everyone's motivation, everyone's point of view, and, and you get a sense that these are real people like yeah. they, this, I mean, this whole cast sh- is so, shout out so solid shout out to kieran culkin um the i think gay he's, boyfriend I, think he's from, my, uh, I love the gay boyfriend from scott pilgrim yeah, he's yeah. he's awesome I think in he's this. my favorite yeah, macaulay's brother there's a couple people on here who i'm not completely sold on maybe i'll be sold on watching further in the show uh namely sarah snook as shiv um oh i love her i, she, I thought uh, she was like she's fine but she's like a lot of the characters no she's as not anyone, as everyone else and she's i i don't know if that's just kind of her like what she's going for but her character feels a little bit flat i don't know if it's going to become any more dynamic i I mean i'm not criticizing her as an actress it's more so that i'm waiting for the show to give her more stuff to do right right also uh matthew mcfadden who looks like a knockoff brendan fraser this guy this (laughs) so after two episodes this is the only character that i'm really wondering like what's his deal i can't tell because he's different in every scene he's a different character he starts out you're wondering if this guy's like a little bit of a psychopath yeah a little bit yeah exactly he's you're like oh wait he's just an idiot this, yeah. yeah he's he's messing with this kid who, by the way this kid <laughs> cousin is, greg cousin, cousin greg cousin greg played by nicholas braun who you know definitely know from sky high as the, also, the blonde kid who also can from um perks of being a wallflower i believe yeah he's this, in that yeah this whole cast is just like it, it's a cast full of that guy and those girls people you've seen before yeah. you'll never know their name alan rook from uh um, yeah cameron ferris. Yeah. yeah cameron from ferris bueller who's an amazing actor never gets enough work it's an it's such a good cast um and i think that that is the main strength in this show and also i think it's just an all-around well-made production this is prestige television it has a budget but it's shot like it doesn't it's shot kind of mockumentary style um the well, sets are so luxurious oh yeah a lot of yeah because it's, it's not sets you know it's like yeah. locations yeah. right um a lot of shaky cam a uh, lot of improvisational like i've heard interviews that they actually did improvise too you would think they wouldn't because the script should be so tight because the show is so good (laughs) i I could tell that there was a bit of improvisation uh namely with uh kieran culkin's character oh yeah like there's one particular moment when um without getting into um like spoilers or anything they're in a hospital and he's talking to cousin greg and he's just like i can't keep looking up at you fucking like you're straining my neck because you're so goddamn tall yeah <laughs> it's just like it's so funny yeah and like, there's a lot of insults in this show and adam mckay's whole thing is improv improv takes and as a director he will have a megaphone and he yells out lines just yeah. he just comes up with because he's a fun, awesome. he's a genius that's so awesome um and yeah this show i i think it's all like well-rounded amazing I, I really didn't have many issues with it at all. I'm kind of surprised that the for the most part that people weren't critics and stuff weren't as high on this show. Well, I mean, especially like I really I read a ton of AV Club reviews and stuff like that, and for the most part, like every episode was like B B minus B plus, and it was like they've been coming around. Really like critics what? critics have been coming around as the season goes on, but I think partially that's because. Uh, we're in a period of television that's kind of post prestige where now we're getting uh, stories from so many new groups of people like every demographic is represented and this is kind of a show that you may have seen pop up in like 2005 mm-hmm. on HBO yeah um, and so it's in that way it seems a bit aged but the tone of the show and everything else about it is flawless and kind of timeless well I think what makes this show work uh, despite my you know doubts going into it is that 
this is ultimately a show about people in the high, some of the highest reaches of power, um, just being, just being shitty at their jobs and shitty to each other. Like there are half of them are idiots or evil or fucking. Everybody is so conniving and manipulative. And they're supposed to be a family, but they're just ready to fucking knock each other's kneecaps out at the, at the first chance they get. Yeah. So it's like you're, you're, you're dealing with people that have so much influence and so much power, but they're just not like operating at a at a very intelligent level. Well, it almost point. it has like like Godfather kind of like themes a little bit to it, where it's just all these people who are in this like high high level of power, but it's almost like they're supposed to be a family, but they're always looking for a way to one up the other yeah, person and who's next to them and each betraying other. each yeah. other and that's just the, doing whatever they can to advance their own exactly. personal gains. That's why I like this show. It really is about power dynamics. It's about like what you do to move forward in the world. It's about leveraging what you have and getting more. Uh, and it's in it's not in a way like a lot of prestige shows were like uh, like a Sopranos or like a Breaking Bad that were kind of glorifying it. They were kind of mm-hmm. making it like, yeah, hell yeah, you get yours. This show is like being like, hey, these people are all horrible. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's, that's why this show, I think, is... But it's still so entertaining. Yeah, And yeah. the dialogue is so funny and Exactly. Engaging. Kieran Culkin is God, man. I think he needs so much more work. I'm so glad he's in this because he's always funny. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's why I think this show is better than the expectation, than the veneer of it. The veneer is like more stuffy than the show yeah. is the show is very self-aware of how bad its characters exactly. are exactly that's um, that's what makes it work yeah i another thing i love is the the intro the music the main oh, yeah. theme the main theme so is so awesome. good yeah. so so good yeah um one little thing i'll say being you know uh now halfway through the the season is um i felt it kind of drag a little bit episodes three four and five oh, look at this guy he's watched episodes three four and five. yeah so so one and two were really strong definitely one is amazing i thought one was an amazing beginning to the story yeah. two kind of things kind of take a little bit of a backseat and and it starts to sort of play out and and it's a little bit of uh uh board reshuffling of things mm-hmm. and it's a lot of talking and not as much movement and energy and three four and five it it kind of i had to like tell myself that you know i had to stick with it a little bit it didn't really like string me along really and then six episode six which i just watched today was so fucking good that i'm just i'm ready for the rest of the season because even though the the show didn't have me like completely engaged i was still ready to watch the next episode immediately after like i was still so ready to to keep spending time with these characters even though the plot was a little bit more dragged out th- than i would have liked yeah i mean um i i really can't wait to see where the show goes i don't know anything specifics but i know that this show gets a little bit batshit crazy by the end so i'm kind of i'm I'm interested to go along for the ride and see where where this all takes us yeah and there's there's so much tv right now that i that i could be watching like i was trying to watch sharp objects i still need to start the new season of better call Saul. uh there's a new season of animals uh i'm still trying to watch bojack and um preacher but 
Succession just jumped to the top of my list. It's nice. it's not perfect. It's not a masterpiece, but it just grabbed me. Mm. You know, it really, really grabbed me, and it's because of these characters and these performances and just the 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 fluidity and and the energy of the dialogue and the mm. writing. Good show. All right. Uh, what's next? We got, uh, ooh, Dimitri Martin. Yeah, I'm just going to do this really quick because I'm assuming neither of you guys saw this. This is on right? Netflix, isn't it? Yeah, is this new? Yeah, like br- brand new? Brand new Dimitri Martin special. Dimitri Martin is 45 years old, you guys. Oh, oh my God. God. And oh, he, that makes me sad. Well, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't know because he just looks the same. Like, everything is the same. That is the takeaway from Does this he special. he still have the same haircut? Yes, he has a bowl cut. It's un, it's unreal. Still like, looks like Coconut from Ned's The Classified. Yeah, and more importantly, important than the aesthetic of any of it is his comedy is exactly the same like for better or for worse i've always honestly been a fan i like one-liners i like kind of up the middle stand-up comedy it's not going to change your you know it's not going to change the world um and it's definitely not where comedy's at right now because you know comedy right now is more personality based uh but this is just another like good special i i can't call it great because like i said I was like halfway through this special and he said like a fact about himself. He was like, yeah, so I have my wife and my kids. And I was like, I didn't know one thing about you. I didn't know a single thing about you, Demetri Martin. You know, how old is his kid? I don't know. It could be 30. We have no idea. It's just that's that's kind of the way that comedy has gone is more confessional. And that's always been a vein of comedy. But that's something that we kind of want more right now. We want more honesty. We want more truth tellers and less observational guys like Dimitri Martin must have been a big Seinfeld guy growing up. He yeah. just he has a very very funny perspective. He has the perspective of someone who sits down and just thinks about things in daily life. Like it's not it's not stories, you know what I mean? John Mulaney is a great joke teller and a great storyteller, and that's why I think John Mulaney is a better comic. He mm-hmm. can he can act out his stories, he can tell them very fluidly, and there are really good jokes. Dimitri Martin just has the jokes for the most part. He tells probably one story in the special, and the rest is just kind of lines. Um, and then the added bonus of Dimitri is he, you know, he fucks around with like a drawing pad. He'll take that out, yeah, and he'll have, yeah, he'll have good drawings. Honestly, when I was about 11, I loved his TV show, Important oh, yeah. Things. Oh, yeah. I loved Martin. Important Things. That yeah. was one of the first kind of like alternative comedy things that I had ever seen, and it kind of blew my mind. I mean, his first special person is like inc- – that. Yeah. On my old iPod video, I actually – that was one of like the only – I only had like a couple of uh, stand-up specials. Dane Some of them haven't aged well. Yeah, like Dane Cook. Yeah. I had a Dane I think, Cook album. I think album. we all had that. Um, you were a big Dane Cook fan when I met you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember. When you met me like two years ago, I was like wearing a Dane Cook yeah, shirt. Like, honestly? And, yeah. <laughs> Dane Cook. Um, no, but I love person. I love important things. Yeah. I didn't realize this. Did you know that he actually was a writer on Conan O'Brien for yeah, 137 yeah. episodes? Yeah. Like from 2003 2004 he has has a great pedigree he's written for conan he had his show he's written movies and acted in movies sporadically but Mm -hmm. mostly you know indie features nothing huge uh it's just really interesting this this special just fascinated me because it was frozen in time it was just this you could put on his comedy specials in any order and there would be no you wouldn't be able to tell which is which except for drawing yeah except for like maybe his face is drooping a little now (laughs) but in terms of the jokes he's telling like for better or worse, like I said, like if you didn't like him at first, you're not going to like him now. It's just exactly the same. And that's kind of not great because you kind of want to see evolution of an artist, like mm-hmm. how we saw Bo Burnham evolve his 
his basically stand up to like theater play to movies. And I thought, you know, that's a really cool thing. You like seeing a positive arc. This is just a straight line and it's a straight line that's pretty high on the line graph. Uh, but it's just the same. Well, so I, if you I, liked him, then check it out. If you don't, then don't. You I know think, what I mean? I think that's a little bit of an unfair comparison because uh, Bo Burnham's a fucking genius. Also, I mean, Bo Burnham, you could watch what and then just be well, like, this guy's going places. Well, so. you make Where that... Dimitri Martin, I mean, he is very, very alternative. And you can tell he's like very outside the box thinking. But the fact that important things only lasted for a season and they got canceled, I mean, kind of was a sign that it wasn't necessarily popular well yeah but i made that comparison because back in the day you would see articles in like entertainment weekly calling him the next comedy genius like that was what yeah he because he is incredibly smart he's got the ambidextrous thing he makes drawings he does these weird little bits he's very intelligent and he just hasn't gone upward with it like i still think he's an incredibly smart guy and talented but that's a little sad. I mean, like you said, he has <laughs> tried to break in with movies, but it's just never well, really he's, taken he's, off. Yeah, he's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He <laughs> made he made a movie called Dean. Dean. Um, he was also in that movie about Woodstock. Yeah, I think, yeah. That he came was. out a few years. Oh, with Emil Hirsch. Yeah, I never saw either of those movies. Yeah, but I mean, he, he tried to make his breakthrough, and it just never really panned out. Yeah, but either way, like I mean, if you liked him, then you will like him. That's that's it. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> and, Hot take. And that's. Your thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Man, that's, that's that's your hard knocks. <laughs> <laughs> so hard knocks. <laughs> um, yeah. Hard knocks colon the Cleveland Browns. Oh, fuck. Yeah, dude. Um, I am so excited for this. I yeah. And so did you watch a second episode? Just came no, out no, no. Time. I just you saw the first. That? Okay. Um, I watched a little bit of the second episode. Okay. Um, so but... so yeah, Hard Knocks is a long running HBO sports documentary series Every season, they follow the training camp and preseason of a different NFL football team, just from beginning to end. The entire season is just one team, all the trials and tribulations. You get to know all the players and coaches. They become characters, essentially. Um, and it is so good. It's really fascinating to watch because <laughs> it like gives you a new appreciation for locker room dynamics and mm-hmm. stuff like that for how actually these players communicate. You can like watch certain people and you're like, that guy's a fucking genius. Like, you know that. And then you watch other guys and you're like, that guy isn't so much. Like I know in the first episode, we had that offensive lineman who was sitting down teaching finances to like all the rookies that were in the room. Yeah, and and it was like, hilarious. Yeah, he's like, bro, it's called interest, dog. And they're like, damn. <laughs> yeah. They're like, shit. It's, it's so, so good. This is just, it's such a well done show. It's brilliantly shot. They have a down to a science because it's been going on for so long um they it like i said this season is the cleveland browns last year if you don't know the cleveland browns did not win a single game which never ever happens they're as low as you can get their entire franchise has always sucked and the city of cleveland just lost lebron so this show expertly starts the whole thing uh you're watching a worker take down the famous lebron mural in cleveland and it just sets the tone of this is a city in need of a new hero Enter the new hero of the Cleveland Browns, Baker Mayfield. They took him with the first pick of the draft. You get to know the coach, Hugh Jackson, who by all means seems like a good guy, but is probably a terrible coach. <laughs> probably. <laughs> that another, He's like 2-24 and 24 in his, yeah. <laughs> his game that just, he's coached. And but. he just doesn't really pass the... Uh, my favorite thing about this show is that HBO somehow 
uh, kind of wagered their way into unbelievable access. You get mm-hmm. to see board meetings. That's like, I shouldn't be allowed to see this. Like you're watching these coaches argue and like undermine the head coach and stuff. It's like succession. You're watching these power dynamics, but it's just real. But yeah, these like, are real things that are actually happening. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um, And it's incredible that they just, they were like, hey, we're just going to put cameras on the walls all the time. Do your thing. And they're like, okay. Like there must be a lot of money being brought in by, you know, having the show. Yeah, I mean, it worked some, for me. Some corporate well, that's synergy. Why, so there's like a whole like, uh, like myth that there's a hard knocks curse that whenever the hard knocks comes in there, it makes your team worse. But the Browns are like, well, we can't get any fucking worse than not winning a game. (laughs) So just throw them in there. Um, I don't want to like give away too much about the second episode, but talking to that, it starts with, um, uh, I can't remember his name, uh, Corey Coleman, who was a wide receiver for them and was just recently traded to the Bills mm-hmm. because it starts with them. It shows like some footage of him in practice, not really trying. And he goes into the uh, office with Hugh Jackson and is just like, if you're not going to put me with the first teams and trade me, I don't want to be here, all this kind of stuff. Wow. And then he gets fucking traded. That's amazing. Like it's stuff like that. But I mean, going to the point that it shows you the dynamics and everything. Um, so... There's a scene where uh, they see the players in practice, not really trying, not really doing their thing. And uh, Tyrod Taylor, who's the current starting quarterback, goes up to Hugh Jackson and is just like, hey, man, you should uh, put this in the film room. You should show them what they're doing. Hugh Jackson and like cuts to Hugh Jackson doing it. And you're like, wow. who's the better coach here? Like, who's, who's, <laughs> yeah. We have the feature backup quarterback like telling yeah. the head coach That's what to do. The, yeah, the best part of the show is the NFL is a league uh, under a lot of kind of you know a lot of issues right now and that's their fault like the nfl is fucked up and it's problematic and there are a lot of things going on but the people in the nfl are not all on the same page with that this is a show about people a lot of them are just trying to make ends meet they're just trying to make they're just doing their job they're trying to make a roster this is not a show about a bunch of millionaires a lot of these people are like please just let me in your training camp so i can just like have a place to live for a while and then if i make the roster i'm rich but this is a show about people trying to do their job. And it's, I love that. It's a very empathetic show. It shows that, like like anything, this league is full of good people. It's full of bad fe- people. Greg Williams, uh, defensive coordinator of the Browns. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's a very human show. And it doesn't have to be because, you know, sports documentaries can sometimes be missing that aspect. But the way that they get narratives out of all this footage, because they just get so much footage for the show, that the way that they cut it together is just beautiful. So my favorite moment from the first episode um, is starring the fourth string quarterback on a team that didn't win a game last year, Brogan Roback. Brogan. Did you say fourth string? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's the fourth string quarterback. (laughs) He's a rookie. Um, this guy, uh, he, his not only does he look and his name sounds like he'd be like a shitty AI that repeats the same thing in one village in yeah. a, like a Skyrim yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that, <laughs> but he there's this scene because they have this thing called the quarterback RV where they have all their quarterbacks, only quarterbacks are allowed in there, and I guess some film guys for HBO and they go in there and they're like kind of showing this is where the quarterbacks hang out and they talk about different kind of stuff and kind of bond all this shit and the four string guy is like he's like yeah I come in here uh, during the nighttime when nobody else is in here I make sure everything's restocked uh, and he like was like restocking water bottles and diet cokes in their mini oh, fridge God. he like fluffs one of the players pillows and yeah. shit <laughs> It's funny. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But it's like human moments like that that you don't, because you just. Oh, see he doesn't these. have to do that. He chooses to. It's kind of hazing. He kind it's, of has yeah, to. Yeah, it's okay. kind of hazing, but then also it's like, 
he's like playing with it and having fun with yeah. the whole idea of it. But I mean, so many times people look at athletes and they're just like, well, that person's getting uh, several million dollars to catch a football. So they're not a real person, but these are like still like human beings exactly. at their core. Like, and you see like people with their families and with their kids and stuff like that. And it's really cool to actually see this and be like, okay, these are extremely talented athletes that are being paid for their services, but at the same time, they are still humans. Yeah. The NFL could... I mean, this this show is really good for the NFL because people need to be reminded of that on both sides. Like, on, on both sides of the issue, there are people who think the NFL is a whole bunch of thugs and idiots, which is absurd because the NFL has a lower crime rate than the rest of America and way more charitable donations than the rest of America because it's basically mandatory if you're an NFL player. Uh, and the other side of the issue is people who are like football as a whole is fucking stupid and sports are dumb. <laughs> and this just kind of silences both sides. It's a show that shows you, hey, this is just like, hey, you know how you go to work and there's a bunch of different people there and yeah. they're all different, even it's though and maybe you don't like the company, but you all are just trying to you know live your lives. That's what the NFL is. That's what everything is. Um, and that's why I love the show. And that's, and that's <laughs> I don't even remember what it was, my phrase was. That's my take. And that's me. All right. But that's just me. <laughs> yeah, that's that, what it yeah. was. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll get into some movies. We'll be right back. Oh, I love the silence before we get to Oh, there we go. It's got a load. Be right back. He comes and he's like faking comforting the you know the wife and he's like man he's he's a great man and he just offered me a job yeah. and then he just looks around like right succession right? Yeah. is how you do important papers that's how you do important papers I think yeah. Disney's Christopher Robin needs to learn a little something about HBO and we're back well actually <clears throat> I just looked up a picture of Dimitri Martin. And he looks bad. <laughs> well, no, he looks different, but he's going for the same thing. He has jeans and a light jacket and a bowl cut. He looks like a uh, substitute band teacher. Yeah, I, I buy that. Like Hunter, look, look at this. I'm, I'm showing Hunter a uh, a picture oh, of 45 no. year old Dimitri Martin. He, he actually he, doesn't look 45. He does look pretty decent yeah, for his age. He looks like a a good looking 40 year old. He looks well, not a good. I looking. could go for like maybe a 35 year old who's seen some shit. He looks yeah, like yeah. a 50 year old that's been working out. Yeah, and he, like juicing. That's because you're only looking at his face. Like, you look at that body, and you will know he has not yeah. been working and out. The the really the crazy thing was just the bowl cut. Like I turned on the special, and I was like, he still has that thing. <laughs> it's still there. Yeah, he's never gonna change. All right, let's get to um, a little segment that I like to call mm, Blu-ray. Christopher Robin, crack and cry. <laughs> How dare you interrupt the soundbite, Drew? All right, take two, take two. Um, so, we have uh, we have three things to get through, so we got to try to do it quick before the review. So you have two, and I have 
Well, I technically have three, but I'm going to sum them up in one. Okay. So, so you can um, start. First of all, I wanted to start with this one because, Drew, I know you have a background with this movie. Mm. Um, this is Wes Anderson's Bottle Rocket. His, um, his uh, feature film debut. Feature film debut. Um, I, I got this. Well, we'll get to that. Oh, um, no. So I got it. this movie on uh, Criterion at the Criterion sale at Barnes & Nobles. Thank you very much, sponsorship. And I gave this a check out because I was like, oh, it's 90 minutes. I got about 90 minutes to kill. I'll put this on. Um, this movie was okay. I think that this <gasps> was not that good of a movie. I or not like it wasn't. It's not. It's good. It's fine. Then why the fuck but, is there a criterion of it? I mean, okay. So my impersonate my my interpretation of this movie is it looks like somebody doing a poor person or like a mediocre impersonation of a Wes Anderson film, uh-huh. which kind of gives you respect for the craft that he's developed while right. making all these movies. But overall, uh, I just. He hadn't, was, he hadn't figured out quite yet what he was. He yeah, was, I mean, he was really young when we're, he made this, like, like super young. There's some, like, there's definitely some good moments. Um, I, I'll get into like little minor spoilers of this movie. This movie really isn't about the plot whatsoever. Um, but the best part about this movie is the second act, in my opinion, when they're just like chilling at the motel. Yes, that's that's where absolutely. it feels like a Wes Anderson movie. And and then I'll, I'll give you another thing. The best part about this movie is Owen Wilson. Yes, he, um, is, he is so. F- I have never thought he was very funny before. And oh, he's Owen so Wilson. Owen Wilson's incredible, and he's I think so good. They make despite the fact that. Uh, this there this movie is written by Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson, and uh, they make multiple jokes about how Luke Wilson is the more attractive and better brother in it, nah. which is pretty. It's pretty funny. Oh boy! Because they have the same face. Uh, I mean, at least Luke doesn't have a fucked up nose like yeah. Owen does. Yeah, um, the, it comes down to the nose. But uh, the third act I found to be extremely messy. It almost seemed like they were trying to do like a Quentin Tarantino impersonation where they, there's this like kind of heist that takes place that everything goes wrong. Well, that's every Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's um, always some sort of like escape, but or... it's very Tarantino esque. And then there's somebody who like has like a heart attack and then they have to try and it's, it very much felt like a Tarantino film to me, but it just wasn't as yeah. good looking. I'll, um, I'll level with you when I think about bottle rock. I haven't seen it in a while, but when I think about it and why I like it, all I'm thinking about is them at the hotel. Yeah. The motel <laughs> sequence is awesome. I it's mean, so good. there's a, uh, um, a, uh, Paraguayan or Uruguayan. Um, I think she's from Paraguay. Uh, but this, uh, maid who's at the hotel who luke wilson like falls in love with immediately despite the fact that she can hardly speak any english and he doesn't know any <laughs> spanish so he's just talking at her and you can tell it she doesn't know anything that he's fucking she saying the smiles. whole time um that all, all that stuff it's all shot beautifully gorgeously that's the only part where it felt like i'm watching a wes anderson movie but there's other parts where it felt like um which some people still criticize wes anderson for doing this anyways where it's shots that are set up to look pretty without a purpose Mm -hmm. um like a lot of people criticize uh grand budapest hotel which i fucking love for it doing that where it's just like wow this all looks really pretty and symmetrical without having any real purpose i don't care yeah um so overall, I mean, I found this movie to be okay. Uh, if you like Wes Anderson movies, check it out. Otherwise, if you're not a Wes Anderson fan, I don't think that this would sell you on his movies. Uh, I would probably put this like in the mid to lower tier as far as Wes Anderson goes. Like, definitely would put this below Isle of Dogs, Grand Budapest, Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums, um, 
pretty much most of his acclaimed work, I'd put it below that. All right. Also, his most straightforward comedy movie, though. Yeah, that's true. Which I kind of like Wes Anderson movies because they have these different elements to them. And this doesn't really have any of that. Yeah. I just liked it as a... that When I said I, I compared it to Napoleon Dynamite, it's because it's so, so low budget. Oh, and, yeah. It's extremely yeah, low budget. And it's meticulously shot. And it's about idiots trying to put together a plan who have no idea what kind of plan they're putting together. Like, I'm glad it didn't, it didn't end the way where I thought it was. Another thing about this movie, I will say, is it feels like there's two endings to this movie. The third act of this movie, I feel like you there's a way that you could have completely cut that out from the whole film. Because they have Owen and Luke Wilson have this big breakup that pretty much happens with them where they kind of Luke Wilson decides that Owen Wilson's bad influence and then like tries to move on and better himself in his life. And then in the third act, he just decides to go back against all that because he likes like being a criminal and so it just kind of felt like it ended, and then I looked at the time. There was still thirty minutes left. Does the does the blue have the original uh, short film on it? It probably does. I did not watch the original short film though. I didn't know that it was based on a yeah. short film. Okay. Yeah. So they, I'm pretty sure they shot this in. Oh, okay. They shot it in Dallas. So they, uh, the Wilsons and um, Wes Anderson, they all went to University of Texas. Yeah, they went to UTA together in mm-hmm. uh, in Austin. So that's where they met, and I think that's maybe where they made the short. But this feature was shot in Dallas. Okay, um, Texas boys. Right. Tell yeah. us about uh, Midnight Cowboy. Now, this, on the other hand, um, I think that the next movie I'm going to talk about, Midnight Cowboy. I think that this movie is an absolute masterpiece. Um, there's an argument to be made that this is one of the most important films of all time. Um, this movie came out in 1969, and it follows a man who's a little cowboy, country boy, who moves out to the big city of New York, and he is a gigolo. He's essentially a male mm-hmm. prostitute, and he's has no money with him, very little money, and he just tries to basically whore himself around New York to get money. Um, the reason why I say this is such an important film is that this really kind of marked the death of what's considered the golden age of Hollywood. This movie won the best picture in 1969, the best Oscar, um, best picture Oscar, the best Oscar. It won the best, the biggest of the Oscars. Um, and this kind of shifted the paradigm for what movies focused on from being about glitz and glamor and the top, the succession group of movies in Hollywood to something like taxi driver where it focuses on the underbelly of society because when you just see when you see the grime or the normal average man that's more of a compelling story than watching rich people talk about their rich people problems yeah a lot of uh a lot of 60s and before movies are really fucking boring yeah well non-relatable yeah they're just not relatable at all that's that's the big key to it but that's one of the things is that people kind of always watch those movies as an escape from their normal people lives i mean you had like singing in the rain and, yeah, uh, they were they were about they were like vaudevillian. They were they had big dance numbers and big yeah. songs and big romantic gestures and all this. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I agree. I man, I haven't seen. I wish I had. This is Colin's favorite movie. Yeah, I, en- enemy of the pod. I really <laughs> enemy of the pod. Um, I, this movie is absolutely incredible. John Voight is unbelievably good. Does he star? Yeah, he's the star. He's Joe <laughs> Buck. He's the cowboy. Wow, in this. that's funny. Um. You might know him from uh, episodes of Twenty Four. You might know him as uh, mother or father of Angelina Jolie. 
yeah um best known but, as uh jim phelps in mission impossible yes exactly am i one yeah um screw midnight cowboy yeah. so but he is absolutely unbelievable and i feel like the only reason why he didn't win the oscar was both him and dustin hoffman were nominated for best actor that That's year nuts. and they split the votes dustin hoffman I, it's hard to say that this is his best role because, I mean, he's Fucking just made legend. so yeah. many incredible films between Rain Man, The Graduates, uh, Tootsie, which he actually did win the Oscar for. Um, but he is unbelievable as this really skeevy little guy who's like um, – he he's kind of walks around with a limp and everything else. And you can tell he's just very manipulative and he's – He's homeless, ostensibly, so he's always trying to find a leg up to get money to manipulate people. And at the beginning of the film, he does. He manipulates Joe Buck as this new country boy moving to the city and uh, leads to this absolutely hilarious scene where he's just like, oh, yeah, I got somebody who's going to set you up. They're going to you know, get you in with the right people to do your job and all this stuff. And he sends him to a guy who uh saves like homosexuals from their urges like this like preacher like in his home it's incredible but also like really deeply troubling um but his character ratso is just or rizzo as he likes to be called but everybody calls him ratso (laughs) is really really great i the way that this movie ends like had me in tears really it's just about these people and after Joe Buck spends all this time trying to make it to the big city, Ratso is trying to escape this city, move down to Florida to Miami where he can be with those Florida oranges and just be in the sunshine all the time away from the dirt and grime that is New York City. It's a really, really beautiful film. I cannot recommend it enough. Midnight yeah. Cowboy. Yeah, I, I got to check it out. Um, One last note I'll say is that I think that this might be, it's in the conversation for like one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. Like this movie came out in 1969. The criterion for this is exquisite. Like it's so, so beautiful the way that the colors are shot. And then also just the way that the contrast between this dark gray city that you see, um, there's this really cool moment where they go to this party and it takes like a sidestep in the film where it almost becomes like you're watching like fucking Yellow Submarine or something like that. <laughs> and it gets really trippy and people are doing drugs and there's all these hippies in the city. Incredible. That's awesome. Absolutely. Incredible. I was looking at the director. He hasn't really done anything else. No, I mean, John this was. Schle- Schlesinger. Schlesinger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he, he, really... he passed away in 2003. Yeah, so. but I mean, this oh, is so really he, his He really boost. didn't get any time to make anything <laughs> else after Midnight After Cowboy. 1969. Now, it's kind of sad that he never really uh, hit that peak again, because I believe that he might have won Best Director for this. Let me Yeah, yeah, check. he did. He did win Best he Director. Did. I know it won a Best Screenplay and then Best Picture, of course. But yeah, Midnight Cowboy. Definitely check that out. Cool. All right. All right, uh, last thing on, on the little crack and crack before we get into our review is the Before Trilogy. Ooh. So I talked briefly about Before Sunrise uh, last time we did Crack and Crack, but now I've watched Before Sunset and Before Midnight. That's um, And guys, these movies are... I, I'm at a loss for words for these movies. That's going to be a problem because we really need you to talk <laughs> I've, about I've, them. I've been I've been struggling to really f- try to voice how I feel about them, but it, they're just perfection. Like I I 
I connected to them in a way that I hardly ever connect to anything mm-hmm. ever. Do you think that Linklater is the most underrated filmmaker of our time? Because I think that he's in the running. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, he with Boyhood, he certainly made something that like got him a lot of attention. Yeah, he and got acclaim, some cloud, he got some buzz. But he has never really made anything that's been like you know, huge and, and, and seen by the masses. He's not the, he's not a Spielberg or he's not a Peter Jackson. Like his movies, he's he's incredible though. But what he manages to do with these movies, um, is something I've never seen before. Like these movies don't have a plot. It's just two people talking to each other for an hour and a half. That's it. Mm -hmm. And just having a conversation with each other. Yeah. That's, that's what he does best. So naturalism. I, I really want people to see these movies if you haven't already. I mean, they're they're probably like his kind of cornerstone of his career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He made them nine years apart, and they're just kind of a, the perfect love story. They're the perfect romantic uh, sort of films because in any other roman- romantic movie, like I was the other day I was thinking about La La Land. I love La La Land, but the scenes that that kind of get into the romance, they don't feel r- really different than like a lot of other romantic movies and romantic stories. They they all kind of follow the same formula that you kind of have to follow in a movie because you have to introduce conflict in order mm-hmm. to get drama and people to care about it. But that's not how things play out in real life between real people. Yeah. The the escalation of two people falling in love is not so linear. It it, it takes this there's these ups and downs and you sort of feel no, each man. other out. It's it's and a guy who under false pretenses has to ask a girl out and then they fall in love and he's like I actually love you and then she finds out <laughs> that it was all a ruse and then she's pissed and you've then you've watched goes, you've watched way too many nineties rom coms I know yeah, I think you've broken. <laughs> this is the only way I fall in love with like girls. That, it, it's it's almost not even fair how good Link later uh, managed to capture what love is in these movies. So in Sunrise, it's very innocent. It's very like optimistic and and sort of almost like fantastical. The fact that like you can make this, you can just meet someone and immediately start to fall in love with them. I it, that is something that you think only happens in a movie, but the way they, he manages to tell the story with these two brilliant actors, you oh, just yeah. believe it. Yeah, it's believable. And then in, in the second one, I, they, in interviews, they talk about how making the second one was the toughest decision mm. because the first one leaves off on such an ambiguous note. They make this promise to each other that they're going to meet up in the same spot six months from now without exchanging any contact information. Mm. And that's how the movie ends. Wow. So then in the second one, you, you're just thinking, like, how the fuck is this going to work? Like, is this dude, are we going to see him, like, p- put up posters all over the train station in Vienna and be like, my love, I've, I've, I can't find my love. Have you seen my love? <laughs> it's like, how the fuck are, are they going to pull this off? And then you start to get into the story and you're like, oh, my God, it makes perfect sense. They're pulling it off. This this is exactly how it should happen. And the way it just plays out the the second movie before Sunset, it plays out in real time. So it's like it's wow. an hour and a half. So the it's, first one doesn't? 
No, it's it plays out throughout an entire night. Okay, it, like day into night. And then the second one's pretty much the second more one is like is like they they reconnect and they're like we have basically an hour and a half together before he has to catch a plane, and the whole movie you know that he has to catch this plane back to the United States and that there's like a time limit on the amount of time that they can spend together. And towards the end of the film, they're like saying bye and saying bye and saying bye. And you just get this urge that like times running out, dude, times running out. Like, what are you going to do? What you're going to, the movie's going to end. You're going to have to part ways. And then you get this beautiful ending where again, it just kind of leaves you in this ambiguous state that you don't know kind of like where it ends up. Mm. And then in the third movie, like I, I'm, I'm sort of trying to skid the specifics here because the best way to experience these movies is without knowing too much about like what really happens. Mm. But the beauty of it is that ultimately it doesn't really matter what happens. All you know is that you get to see these people together in three very distinct moments in their lives. And in in the third movie, I I really think that the third movie might be the best. Oh wow. Because really? not only, you know, are they making this movie after two decades of making movies and they they're becoming much more experienced filmmakers, but also like because Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy are like helping write and create these characters they are they are these people mm. like they have become Jesse and and uh Celine like that it you just there's no doubt in your mind that you're seeing two real people talk to each other and that lends itself to amazing filmmaking where you get these 9 10 11 sometimes 13 minute uninterrupted takes of dialogue where the camera just sits there and you're not cutting to like any glamorous like super flashy shit you're just getting two people talking to each other yeah and the i think the reason why the third one works so well for me is because it's very different than the other two you start to see more of like life being worn into these characters and the conversations that they have are tougher conversations they're not they're kind of a great deal older right yeah yeah they're in their 40s so in in the first one there it's it goes 20s 30s 40s yeah yeah um so you know i i i can't recommend these movies enough they're fucking amazing they're absolute masterpieces each one is better than the one before and before and before sunset just gets so heartbreaking because there's this exchange that they have where you really feel the pain of two people who fell in love and then didn't see each other again for nine years. And you really get the sense of like the, the, the longing that they shared for each other Mm -hmm. and the impact of having to encounter that person again, nine years later it it really brought a tear to my eye and then in the in the third one like ha- having all of this backstory to look back on and seeing these characters in their middle age and struggling with just their day-to-day lives mm-hmm. and then you see in their eyes that same young couple from 1995 still there 
and them trying to like remember that they're still looking at that person that they've met on that train in Vienna. Like it's it's amazing that I'm able to relate to these movie characters <laughs> as real people and imagine all of the all of the the gaps in between the movies and the the lives that they live that we don't see on screen mm. and all of the things that they happen that that happen in this in this world that we're not exposed to because we're mm. we're only exposed to very small moments of their lives but it, the films are just so well made that you're able to to think about everything that happens in between all the movies it's yeah. i feel like that's also just a huge credit to ethan hawk and julie delpy as yeah. actors that yeah. they're both just able to pull that off they have co-writing credits yeah yeah, yeah. they don't too. they don't on the first one but okay. they do in the second and the third but listening to interviews you really get the idea that when they were shooting the first movie they had this initial script that you know they had to write before they cast any actors but once they were cast in the roles Linklater gave them the freedom to really do whatever they wanted with the dialogue and to shape it to their liking. Yeah, from what I've heard about, um, specifically from Before Sunset, I've never seen any of these movies. I really, really need to watch the trilogy because this is a series of movies that like, I've always been like hitting myself over the head for not seeing these. But I know from what I've heard about Before Sunset, Linklater for a lot of times would just like leave the camera rolling and then just let them just talk yeah, just yeah. as these two characters and to see it, what happened. It's uh, the 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 other thing about this is that they're able to make it seem like they're just re- literally improvising every single line. Like you're watching it and you're just like it feels like it's all improvised, but in reality, it was very 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 tightly rehearsed to a T. Mm-hmm. To an absolute T and there is no room for improvisation. And Linklater talks about how you know, in a traditional film, you have all this coverage and you have all of these different shots that you can pick from and you can kind of build the movie that you want in the editing room. But in these movies, you can't really do that. You have to know exactly what you're going to do before you shoot it. And then once you shoot it, that's really all you have. Mm. And you can't remove anything because it's a movie that's all dialogue. Yeah. And it's all you have. Damn. Um, I want one last thing to say before I wrap it up. Uh, I'm curious to to hear your takes on these if you if you get the chance to watch them soon because I related to Jesse a lot and I saw myself in him so much in so many of the the ways he looks at the world and the way the, his approach to to romance and to life and watching it with with Lee she saw herself in Celine and and related to her worldview and to her approach to life and I just find that completely fascinating that like I, I that we are both able to like really see ourselves in these characters. So it's I'm just curious to see if that if that happens to you guys because I'm sure that the reason why these movies resonate so much with people is because it's such a it's such an intimate and personal love story that they are able to make so relatable. Mm. Damn. Uh and well, that's uh, Give me more blue. Cat can cry. All right. Well, now that we're done talking about good things. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, <coughs> we saw a movie called Disney's Ewan McGregor is Christopher Robin, a very busy man with very important papers. Who doesn't have time TM. for my little bear. Um, Guys, to be honest, I don't really have that much to say about this movie. Yeah, same. It's fine. I didn't. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I thought it was cute. 
I was bored for some of it, and I really enjoyed myself for some of it. I thought everything with the Hundred Acre Wood gang, with the with the little uh, Winnie and Eeyore and uh, all those guys, I loved all of that. Yeah. That was amazing. Mm. But they're barely in the movie. That's so. Yeah, that was a bummer. Everything else that's not that, I was like, can we just get back to fucking Eeyore and Tigger and Pooh? Yeah. What did yeah. you think, Hunter? Um, for the most part, I found this movie delightful. Um, this isn't like gonna be a great movie. It's not even like close to being the best live action Disney movie that they've put out. Um, but I mean, everything with Pooh Bear and the Hundred Acre Woods, like you said, was amazing. I love that stuff. Um, the first. 15 20 minutes of this movie was so goddamn depressing that yeah. like i was war, like there's a war sequence yeah no dude i literally was just like <laughs> oh my god how is this movie ever going to bounce back from this point of like this low and it starts out with seeing pooh bear just staring at this fucking door waiting for christopher robin to come home and he never comes back i was sobbing i was literally like fucking sobbing at this moment um but unfortunately I was really excited going into this movie because Ewan McGregor was cast as Christopher Robin. And I fucking love Ewan McGregor. But I'm going to blame the writing for this and the direction with Mark Forrester that Christopher yeah. Robin fucking sucks in this movie. Yeah. He sucks. And he's like, a dick. He's fucking unforgivable <laughs> yeah, in this a, movie. He's a prick. Chris, Mark Forrester of uh, directing World War Z fame. Mm, so... I'm going to go low. I hated this movie. <laughs> I saw it today and I I thought it was a bad movie. I It's it's an adult movie but it's as stupid as a kids movie. It's not a movie that any kid would want to see because it's about an adult rediscovering his childhood. And yet the plot and the writing is so dumb that it has to be for kids. He has very important papers, Drew. Exa- it's so <laughs> it's so simplistic that like how is this for adults? Like, I cannot comprehend this movie sometimes. Just the fact that it's called Christopher Robin tells you, like, hey, we're making a story for the older people. Because we're putting old Ewan McGregor with his briefcase and his coat and his hat on the poster. Yeah, so I don't, like, are they planning for kids to go see this movie? Because I thought that this was, like, I, I enjoyed myself for the most part. Like, I really did think that this was real good. I do have plenty of problems with it, namely... um with Christopher Robin's character also with uh the like lack of consistency in the character designs of the Hundred Acre Woods some of them were cute little stuffed animal looking guys others were like weird CGI monsters I so think that's I, the same in the original illustrations so okay but one thing I just to finish up my point there was that I don't think that I can see kids enjoying this movie no, whatsoever. Not at all. Um, but okay, no. So about the characters, I loved the design of Pooh Bear, mm-hmm. of Tigger, of Eeyore, of Rabbit. I love their designs. Why does, or sorry, did I say Rabbit? No, not Rabbit. I thought Rabbit looked like. Uh, they belonged in a Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland movie. Mm. It looked so, so out of place. Yeah. Between that and Owl, I don't know why they didn't also give them cute little ragged teddy bear looks to them. Like, why so, would they yeah. be inconsistent with that? I, I came around to all the character design because that was the least of my problems with the movie, with the exception of tigger like tigger's gotta be bright man he, no, his whole dude, his I, whole vibe is he's bright and bouncy and they made him like washed okay out. okay so here's the thing though based on the trailers for this movie the 
the color palette, the actual like visual design of all of these uh, stuffed animal characters changed drastically really? as the movie neared its release. Like mm, at weird. one point, all of them looked super desaturated and like raggedy and old looking. And with each new trailer, it Pooh specifically looked closer and closer to the classic animated mm-hmm. character look. And I think they didn't decide to focus those efforts on Tigger yeah. as well, much to okay, like so make them I, look like the I actually cartoon. unlike a lot of people, I actually kind of liked not them looking like gray, but I liked a little bit of the desaturated looks because these are essentially stuffed animals that were left behind for thirty plus years. So I liked them looking ragged and worn out. Like I didn't mind that aesthetic to it at, at all. I, I like the fact that if you if you were you know, if, if you were to be watching this at home and you like paused it, you can kind of look closely and see that there's like little bits, like seams, like popping out and like uh-huh. little rips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, I, in I, the I noticed, stuff yeah, I noticed like, that. While like I said, it. by the end of it, I was I was pretty fine with all that but, stuff. But the thing is, again, they're barely in yeah. the movie. And here's why this script I know for a fact was absolutely horrible because. It's good when they're there because they're basically just directly ripping A.A. A. Milne lines. Like whenever Pooh is talking, it, he's like he's basically like a soundboard. Like they're just <laughs> pressing a button and it's a line straight from the old books. Like I remember there are specific lines. Most of the things Pooh said are just rips. Yeah. And anything involving an original character, the new Christopher Robin, his family, his co-workers, all terrible it was so boring bad writing bad lines that was all yeah it's supposed to be the emotional core of the story of him being so busy with his papers that he can't (laughs) pay attention to listen to what you're saying right now so busy with those papers dude he's very busy with his papers you just want to go ahead and get into spoilers real quick so we can i mean what even is there to spoil i there might be some like little kids that are going home right now they're listening (laughs) um luke if you're listening (laughs) if you if if you if you i don't even know who to recommend this movie to no i don't i okay i'll I'll do it for you i don't recommend it for anyone i think it was bad it's not even a kid's movie i think the good parts of the movie were ripoffs of the original ip and anything that was left to people to create whole cloth was horrible and i think that makes for a bad movie i would only recommend this if you're a fucking die hard winnie the pooh completionist yeah if you're a pooh head a poo completionist. Yeah, like that's really so, the only people that are gonna love this movie. Completion. I, I, I'm a little bit higher on this movie than you guys because I'm, I'm a fucking sucker for poo. I can't help it. All right, you suck. And poo. I knew I fucking love me some poo. I'm a sucker um, for poo. Poo is great in so, this movie. I loved yeah, everything yeah. about it. And it's him. because so, they didn't write it. <laughs> it's simple. I knew that you guys, specifically Drew, was going to like it because Drew's a cynical asshole. Oh, my God. He doesn't God. like anything. No, he didn't this... like Ready Player One, so of course you weren't going to like Pooh Bear. This movie um, is cynical. I'm not cynical. This movie is a cynical retreading I would, shit. I would recommend this movie to people if you're not a fucking cynical douchebag. <laughs> and, I mean, if you just – if you grew up like me and you fucking love Pooh Bear – and your favorite world playing Kingdom Hearts was the Hundred Acre Woods, and you that was a great dying, world. You're dying to hear that fucking music and everything else. Yep, that got it's for me. that. If you're a diehard Ewan McGregor fan and you just want to look at his face because he's an attractive man, then this might be oh, the movie for you too. Okay, I, I have I have one line. I have what I have a take that is positive about this movie. <laughs> uh, Haley Atwell, more oh, like yeah, more like Haley Actwell. Yeah, but. <laughs> Oh she, boy, were you practicing that in the mirror before the podcast? She's yeah, an amazing. Yeah. She's an amazing actress, 
but her character is nothing. Yeah, it's stupid. It's she it's doesn't dumb. do anything. It's a dumb movie. It is a dumb movie. And I don't go to the movies to be entertained for thirty minutes. I feel like you guys are uh, being too rough on this movie because you were expecting it to be. You were like, "This is going to be the follow up to Eighth Grade in my cinematic." Oh, shut okay, up, no, please. listen. Shut this up. is this is how this movie could have actually worked for me. You don't tell it from fucking Christopher Robin's tell perspective. Tell it from Pooh's perspective. Yeah. You tell it from Pooh's perspective, and it's a story of Pooh going on an adventure. Give me yeah. that. Yeah, I just well, okay. So also, so this is made by the people who also made Finding Neverland, which was an attempt to kind of do the and, same type of thing. And uh, World War Z. And World War Z. And don't forget that. <laughs> and I feel like so what they were going for was they were trying to make this the hook of the uh, of the Christopher Robin Pooh Bear story. Um, I stand by Hook. I know that it's a bad movie, <laughs> but. Dustin Hoffman, man. Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> you know, we got some... Um, I think Hook is better okay. than this. I think... No, exactly. Exactly. I stand yeah. by Hook. And Hook still worked because despite the fact that it's them being older and it's a little bit depressing at certain points, it still is, for the most part, have a little bit of that whimsical. This does have some whimsy to it, but it's yeah. just not enough. Well, yeah, the whimsy is everything that A.A. Milne created a long, long time ago. And everything else, I think, is truly bad... The the best uh, adjective I can use to describe this movie is paint by numbers. Do you know what I mean? It, this movie, yeah, yeah. this movie, there is not a single scene in it that you're like, oh. <laughs> okay, I do want to. I want to. We should at least say uh, some kind of a spoiler bumper because I do want to talk about the ending and a couple of the ramifications yeah. for this. Ending. Okay, but anyway, do you guys want to want to rate the movie out of ten, or do you not want to hurt people's it, feelings? I'd give it a. <laughs> Gaia, if you're listening, it's a fucking 12 out of 10. <laughs> Personally, I give it a 7. Okay. I'm I sorry. Think it's fine. I'm sorry, it's Gaia. Fun. I think, I will say, I don't think it was poorly shot. I don't think it looked bad, but I don't go to the movies to basically watch a story that I already knew every component of before I even went in. You, you see the trailer, you're like, oh, he's an adult now. He needs to rediscover it. Like the entire movie, I feel like I had seen before. And. I don't think it was a creative endeavor in any way. I think it was a very cynical money grab IP move where they have the rights to this and someone came to them with a shitty script and they were like, this will make money. And and it didn't. It's not really yeah. making much money. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's And it's because, like, what is the audience? The audience yeah, is... But it's, it's fucking Disney. They're just going to wipe yeah, their ass and, and people are watching. They'll, they'll be in the green, but the problem is the demographic is... I really think the problem is what I said. It's for adults in theory like plot wise and yet it's stupid like a kid movie so who's who's left i nostalgia is there for sure and there are good moments in it for sure but i gotta give this like a five maybe About a four maybe four and a half i i, I so it's I, not you would rather watch this over like deadpool or wrinkle in time or will, a lot of other this, stuff i might put deadpool 2 over this because there were jokes in deadpool 2 that i laughed at and there were some moments in this that i really enjoyed but i this movie just felt it was similar to Deadpool in that it just felt very cynical to me. It I, felt it felt like executives wrote this. It didn't feel like a writer wrote this movie. I I laughed a lot during um the the train station sequence in the first act. Yeah. When uh when he's chasing him around delightful. the train. Delightful. Absolutely I love that. delightful. And I loved everything about Eeyore. Every single thing that Eeyore, Eeyore said. Eeyore kind of stole so the show. For that, yeah, I got Eeyore's funny. I gotta give it a six, only because of Eeyore. If, it, if Eeyore wasn't in this movie, I'd probably go five. But because of Eeyore, I'll yeah. bump it up to a six. That's, and 
and there's there's enough here that you could compile you could like make a new edit of this movie make like a supercut of it that's like maybe like 45 minutes yeah, long yeah exactly it's, and it'll be amazing a lot of it is just not necessary See, well that's the thing is that i do think that when this movie hits it does fucking hit like i i do think that the highs of this movie are there that's why i'm giving it some credit because i do think that it is like when this movie hits it does hit well it just doesn't have enough of those moments right. and it is a lot of film it's the astro world of the disney <laughs> <Okay>. universe <laughs> let's get into spoilers for uh christopher robin is a very busy man with very important papers starting now okay so um quickly let's talk about the ending so the key to the very important papers is Give uh, people paid vacations. It will, that, well, horrible. actually, that <laughs> sucks. It is a triangle graph that you just have to turn <laughs> upside down. Yeah, it's, it's a pyramid no, scheme. This is, this is <laughs> to an upside down funnel system. Uh, this is what I'm talking about. That moment, I felt insulted as an adult <laughs> human being because this movie is feasibly for me. And yet the, the big climax, they're like, hey, I know how we can save money. Let's make our product a lot cheaper and give it to our own employees for cheap. And give them vacations. That is... I, Paid vacations. I, look, I don't have a business degree. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't need to. That's not going to work. <laughs> I don't know. So Maybe stupid. they took it to like the marketing team, to the business execs, and they're like, what do you guys think about this idea? And they're like, genius. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how <laughs> we do it. Yeah, it's just... that. But the thing is, that is a, a very passable ending for a movie for six-year-olds. Because six-year-olds don't know how the world works. Anyone above six... You're like, no, what? No. Well, I'll tell you, um, there were maybe like a couple five or six-year-olds in my theater, and they all left before the movie ended. (laughs) Their parents probably got bored and were like, yeah, let's just No, otherwise, or it got too depressing. Let's talk about the scene (laughs) when Christopher Robin is screaming at Pooh Bear in the fucking rain. That was the part where I was just like, (laughs) I was like so upset. I was like, dude, we live in this world where there's like, all kinds of crazy shit happening politically right now. The world is such a dour place. And I just have this grown man screaming at Pooh Bear. Like, this is the worst thing ever. Like, I wanted to reach through and punch Ewan McGregor yeah. in his beautiful fucking mouth. Which makes me think that even though this mess, the message of the movie uh, is pretty good of, like, you know, wanting to spend time with the people in, yeah. in front of you yeah, in your life. Yeah, don't let go of your childhood. It's admirable. There's, there's a potential to read some of the pooisms in a very negative way which is when when they're saying like sometimes the best uh nothing the what the is the best something something are you the, saying or sometimes nothing doing leads to nothing the very, wait you're saying the very best something yeah so, you're saying so that pooh bear pooh bear is complicit in trump's america yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what you're exactly getting at what I'm trying to say. that's fucked <laughs> That we live, in, we live in a world where you can't do nothing. Damn it! <laughs> All right. So while we're who's like it doesn't affect my life. While we're hey, reading, I'm white. I, <laughs> I'm a white bear and I live in a fucking portal, bitch. <laughs> so while we're reading through and overanalyzing the hell out of read between the lines of this movie, let's talk about the uh, future Stephen King uh, adaptation that's going to be the sequel to this movie about the three people who see these talking stuffed animals walking yeah, around London and go insane, and they're like telling people about it oh yeah the losing their the goddamn cop. mind and yeah. people are like dude this guy's fucking insane like do you think that they all contact each other he's like man i'm having nightmares again i'm seeing the 
talking yeah. bear, dude. I can't stop. Honestly, yeah. Also, another thing, this is really small, but this movie fell into a trope that I think is always so funny, which is when someone is introduced to one supernatural thing. Like, Pooh Bear comes to him, and he's like, what? It's Pooh? Okay, it's Pooh. He accepts that it's Pooh, and then they're back in the 100 Acre Wood, and he's like, well, there's no such fucking thing as heffalumps. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, why not, dude? You just crawled through a tree portal. Yeah, Pooh Bear just yeah. came through a portal. If, if, if I saw a talking bear, I'd be like, you tell me what's real. <laughs> you know what I mean? Also, I what one of my least favorite scenes was when he falls into that hole mm. and then it rains on him and then he's just fine. Like he doesn't drown or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has this like vision about his important papers. <laughs> and the heffalumps and the woozles. Oh, uh, and then do you also did you catch there's a line earlier in the movie in the biz, the luggage factory where, where they're like, hey, we can increase buoyancy by 5%. And I was like, buoyancy. And then, and then the <laughs> and luggage then floats. And is that why I did not catch that? But that's that, OK. That's a little. I don't think that I don't think the screenwriters. Even yeah. got that. So I doubt uh, it. another thing that really sucked was uh, some of the humor between the adults, like whenever um Christopher Robin is having the meeting with his with the boss's son or whatever, and they're like talking, and then like all the other adults are like sitting out there with like a glass oh, like God. to the thing. I was like rolling my eyes yeah. to the back of my fucking dude. Skull I was rolling my eyes so much during this movie. Yeah. Pretty much any scene that didn't have poo in it, I was like, please make this end. Yeah, it, just it was, make it yeah. stop. It was super super cornball, and I would forgive it more if that were a children's movie because we ripped Wrinkle in Time to pieces, and at the end of the day, I kind of feel bad about that because I'm not six. But with that said, six-year-olds didn't like Wrinkle in Time either. <laughs> right. So, but what I'm saying is, like, why make it so simple? Like, if it's for us, make it for us. You know what I mean? But the, it's it, the movie never finds a balance because yeah. the poo stuff is so charming. Yeah, I like, really enjoyed. There's parts a good of it. movie in there, mm. but then the stuff that's supposed to appeal to adults and t- supposed to tell us, like, hey, don't work too much. Your papers aren't that important. That stuff is like so half-assed and like you don't give a shit at all yeah i it, it is i mean i really like Pooh care as soon as Pooh shows up with the mcgregor at least adds some kind of a sense of charm up to the point where he's fucking screaming at Pooh. Yeah. but i mean he's so mean like to him. whenever he's just on the train with him and Pooh's just saying things that he sees and stuff like <laughs> tree dog man i love that. i love that, that like was, i that love was that. actually really that funny. was great that but, was awesome and then he's just like, he- man <laughs> but but then he, he when uh, Christopher Robin starts doing it, and I was like, "Are you fucking stupid? I what, like are that. You, what are you doing? You're a grown man." See, I liked it. That's screenwriting 101. He's it's learning his lesson. Yeah, callbacks. That was a great moment, and maybe I'm being too hard on this movie because whimsy is good. But and you I had felt, too much popcorn. I felt betrayed because I spent money on this movie. That's why I felt betrayed. Well, like, maybe if you were a fucking A-lister, then you just, wouldn't have felt betrayed. Okay? Maybe, honestly. I'm just salty about Movie Pass. But <laughs> at the end of the day... your aggressions on Pooh Bear, damn it. I, you're, you're, being a real, you're being a real Christopher Robin right now, Drew. Whatever. That's what you're being. I just... I think with music, filler isn't as big of a deal because it's really easy to skip it. And you didn't... At the end of the day, I didn't pay money specifically to listen to Astro World. So if I have to skip a few songs, I'm fine with it. I had no choice but to sit there because I wasn't going to leave. And I was watching it thinking, why isn't this better? And maybe that's me being entitled and being a little bitch, but I just think it should have been a lot better. Here's a golden ticket idea. Disney is releasing their streaming service next year. 
all of these fucking live action remakes that they have on a slate just make them original movies for that streaming service or better yet just make them episodes of a remake anthology show so that we don't each of the episodes are like an hour long yeah you get a super cut version of it you 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 hear me bob Iger? you on the line i do think that (laughs) give me my money (laughs) i do think that i mean like jungle book is great um I haven't seen Pete's Dragon, but from all accounts, that's really good, too. It's directed by David Lowry. Yeah, like, from all accounts, that's a great movie, too. Like, they have hit on some of these before, but I also don't think that this is the biggest miss that they've had as far as the live-action movies go. I think it's perfectly fine. I just, I didn't care for it. I did. I wish that it was better. I wish that it was better. Um, I just, I guess I'm, I'm probably being, I feel like... I'm being. I'm trying to be the over extreme to counter Drew's extreme negativity. <laughs> I'm trying to be the Pooh Bear here while he's just being a real fucking Ewan oh, McGregor. No. Um, but I just I did want it to be better. It just had so much whimsy. I just like I didn't. I wasn't expecting it to be a great movie. I was expecting it to be a fine to a good movie going into it, and it was just like it's gonna be fun. It's probably gonna make me cry. It's you get to see Pooh Bear and the boys, and then that, that's what I got. So I, I was satisfied. I did, I did t- uh, tear up slightly during one scene, which is the one single moment that you see Eeyore actually have a glint of happiness. Yes. When he sees yeah. Christopher Robin playing again. Yeah. I was, that was like, great yeah, that was, like, that, was oh, a, that was an awesome moment. Eeyore's happy. See, like, there are those, there are those great moments. I I cried at multiple points while watching this, but maybe I'm just a little bitch. Who knows? <laughs> That's yeah. I think my scale of rating things is just changing because like we, like we always say, we get on letterbox and everything's four stars. We just keep it. Well, the baseline of making a movie is zero stars. If you made right. a film, congratulations, you get zero. We build from there. So to me, this movie is halfway to being a good movie. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So no, that makes that makes sense. Yeah. Five. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. That's that's defendable. Yeah. When when I was when I was younger, I always thought like you started at ten, and then with with yeah, then you go down, down with reasons that I don't like it, you bring it down. That's but, yeah. That's but how now, I've been kind of doing but it. But now I'm at like okay, you start fifty fifty. You start in the middle. And then if you tip me towards positives, then you go up. And then if you tip me towards um, negative, yeah, you go I'm down. more in that camp too, where I kind of I go into pretty much every movie now, even if I know by all accounts it's gonna be a bad movie. I try and give movie a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, and I'm just like, yeah, that's what that's why I've gotten to the point where I do enjoy some schlocky films, is just because I go into it thinking. Trying to give it the benefit of the doubt, but preparing myself for the worst. So you know, you're you're just getting ready to talk about Slenderman next week. Yes. So that's going to be our future review next week. So oh you guys kill me. Yeah. Maybe I'm maybe it. I'm becoming the villain, and I just don't even. <laughs> yeah. I'm like one of those teachers that's like, no, you start with a zero in my class, <laughs> and I always hated those teachers. So you know, maybe but, you start with a C. I mean, like let's let's be real. The potential was there for a better movie. They just didn't really know what to do with this. They didn't know if they wanted to make a full. I think that if there was a better a better or, director and better writers behind it, I, then this could have had much higher potential. I think my problem is that I I was a big fan of Pooh Bear as a very small child, and I think that A. A. Milne would hate this movie. I think that it it kind of betrays the spirit of Pooh Bear because it is so well written when it involves characters created by someone else, and then. You're introduced to these stock, boring characters that have no perspective. Yeah. for most of the movie, the the uh, the fucking um, the employees that are always holding their stuff, their papers, because they're about to be fired. <laughs> they're like, "Well, I better just keep my papers while I get fired from the luggage company." Yeah, not a fan. Okay, before we wrap up, though, I'm gonna say my favorite pooism. 
I always get to where I'm going by walking away from where I've been. Yeah. Great. Those are, those are, that's what I'm talking about. A lot of the times it was like they were just pressing a button on a doll and it was just spitting out a Pooh Bear line, which are amazing lines. And hey, I mean, shout out to getting, um, What's his name? The guy, the original voice. I almost said Jim Henson, but that is not that, right at all. Wow. <laughs> I think his name is like something Cummings. Yeah, Jim Cummings. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. It was Great Jim. voice actor. Yeah, Jim Cummings, who does the voice of uh, Pooh and of Tigger. And then they got a couple uh, new people in there for the other voices yeah. that sound almost like... I mean, Pooh and that, Eeyore Hearing that it. Cummings voice is just like, it's so it's so perfect. It's yeah. so iconic. And the little, the, the little um, getting ready to get hungry song or whatever. And he's like touching his toes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, Christopher Robin and the very important papers. Uh, catch it now in theaters for not much longer. Oh, um, we didn't do a summer movie wager check-in, but is, is it, it over? Is it over? I think Allison won. If it's, it's over, it's, Allison it's won. It's open till Labor Day weekend, but I, it's looking... I think she she's winning by a okay, few points. Okay, so well, no. I really went out on a goddamn limb with Christopher Robin. If Christopher Robin... <laughs> If that hypothetically would have made what it was going for, for like being a hundred, hundred twenty thousand dollar movie, then I probably would be hey, near the top. Maybe right people now. will listen to this episode and just okay, just flock to go see. Do you guys hear me? <laughs> um, we're deleting the last little part. Christopher Robin, greatest movie of all fucking time. Go see this movie twenty times. You might not appreciate it the first view. Yeah. Like thirteenth, fourteenth view, you'll love it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, right now Allison's at number one. But if any movie, any movie dethrones Mamma Mia two, she loses thirteen points immediately. Yeah. Um, and oh then, yeah, yeah. And then Colin yeah. is in second, and I'm in third. And then Hunter, and God, then I, skip a few, and then you got Ernie <laughs> way the fuck down there. I fucking. Oh well, swear at least to I'm God, not in last place if, anymore. I was if, in last for a long time. If Colin wins again. I'm gonna be so fucking pissed. As, do, you Enemy of the idea, podcast. do you have any idea what um what uh Allison's gonna make us watch if she wins? No, because she she wanted to make us watch Merry Christmas and we already saw it. Oh, <laughs> so for damn, that would have been a great um, one. No, but there are a lot of movies that are very similar to that, and I think it'll be one of those which I really enjoy them because they're I, so bad. Yeah. Fuck it, man, I, I, they're great. We'll it's do another commentary. Right too. Yeah, no, that was <laughs> that was a different kind of bad. Merry Christmas was really fun to yeah. watch, honestly. All right, it's horrible. Let's uh, let's wrap it up. You can follow We Bought a Mic at at uh, social media at We Bought a Mic, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that shit. And email us at we bought bought a mic. You know, what was that? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> we bought a mic at gmail.com with your takes on succession and uh, Christopher Robin and uh, yeah, whatever you know, else. We should we should get sponsored by Mike's Hard Lemonade. Yeah, we bought a Mike's Hard. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just realized. Damn, that's let's that's... fucking sell out even more. <laughs> let's email him. All right, what what uh, what do you guys want to want to plug your buttholes with? Um, well, you can uh, check me out on Letterbox. I was slacking for a little bit. I did. I uh, wasn't on the podcast last week because I uh, was busy uh, graduating. Oh, congrats, dude! Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, we don't ever talk outside of here, so they had no idea where I was. I just didn't show up at the designated time. <laughs> yeah, Hunter, so Hunter finally graduated um, high school. <laughs> yeah, I finally did it. Got that GED, boys. It was all inspired by seeing Night School, the new Kevin Hart film. Um, <laughs> you can check me out on Letterboxd. Uh, I've been trying to catch up with a bunch of stuff. Made a big old review for Midnight Cowboy, 8th grade. If you want to know what my thoughts are on that, spoiler, it's good. Um, and also on Twitter, at Hunt Mobley. Wow. I'm at Letterboxd. I, 
I'm I'm I just I posted my first review in like a year. Nice. The other day, it was just it was a quick one for American Hustle. It's a um, good it's a good review. It's, yeah. It's my a good theory one. is that it doesn't exist as a movie. <laughs> um, and so yeah, I'm Drew D on there. Drew Dietzen D I E T Z E N on Twitter and pretty much everywhere else. Uh, what I really want to plug though is Disney's Christopher Robin. <laughs> you got it after you see A Wrinkle in Time. It's a good double feature. Check them both out. Um, you're a fucking dick, dude. Yeah. Like, you're damn, dude. Like, Gaia, Gaia, I'm sorry. I know you're probably going to be pissed at me. You hate most of my takes. <laughs> and that's fair. I'm not fond of them either. And, and that's your feel and about that. <laughs> and that's the me of it. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm at Calvinist on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Um, I've posted a couple reviews of some things and i'll be trying to check out black clansman so hopefully that'll be yep. our big review next week other than blind spotting um dude that's not showing in orlando anymore wow we missed, missed our we chance missed the boat that's crazy yeah. it's getting great reception it's yeah. kind of like first reform though where it's a movie that nobody saw that got good reviews so it was out in like a week and, and a half. yeah we missed it uh but you know maybe we can watch uh crazy rich asians or yeah uh, yeah we honestly should that could be yeah fun. people crazy like rich it. asians black klansmen next I like week a good, uh, like a good rom-com yeah because we're not gonna have anything I like good a good for a Asian. while yeah <laughs> Okay. So right. Slenderman coming at you next week. Well, we'll be back next week. Later. You guys, remember Christopher Robin when the end credits were dead? Yeah. Okay, later.